Hello, and welcome to episode 52 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. And I'm Will. And with us this week is Piper J. Drake. Welcome to the show. How the heck hello, are you? Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> I'm doing okay. Welcome. How are all of you? We are super excited to have you. We've known you for a while, and we finally are getting you on our show, and we're super stoked. We have some questions to ask you and stuff, but we're just happy to have you. So welcome, welcome, welcome. So Thank you. Oh, a round of applause too, Will? Yes. Round of applause. Okay. That's All not right. in the yeah. outline. It's not in the outline, and we have not clapped for any other guests, so that might be something. I don't know. I feel so special. <laughs> Listen, me and Piper text a lot so lately, so you know. Uh, yeah, Sorry. we kind of we kind of got in trouble for that. I know you two are jealous. I've yeah. been getting a lot of love from Will. The two of you <laughs> have let me know just how much you're willing to forget about me until there's another cruise. I'm just trying not to bother you. Will sends me text messages that you wouldn't want to. I, I wouldn't want to read out loud to you. So remember, oh, my my nickname is Man Bitch in all of our texts. <laughs> From well, oh, there's like 15 well, to 60 texts every couple days going on, so it's it's a lot sometimes. But how do you manage that in in addition to the Discord that you maintain? Are you know what Discord's not really that busy, so uh, it's me on Discord. To be quite honest, <laughs> I'm the one who interacts with everyone the most. Marshall is like the overseer. You know, he's like the dad of the group. You know, steps in when he feels like, all right, kids. <laughs> Settle down. And Nick is there with the random like, I'm oh my God, everyone, I, I have this idea. You know? Ooh, okay. I see. Well, that we summarized all of our it. positions in the Discord channel. Whoa. <laughs> and we weren't going to talk about social media and Discord before the show started because we have Piper here, but you did anyway. So but we have to. I, mean, I brought it up. I did. To be fair, I brought it up. I know it's your fault. It's okay. We have to, you know, welcome Brent, who's new on Discord. So if you guys haven't had a chance to say hi yet to Brent, true, true. We've had a lot of people. I'm good. Hello. Brent's and awesome. Apparently, there's people in our Discord that didn't know we had a podcast. So if you're listening <laughs> to this, thank you for listening. Yeah, that was an interesting development, but a story you for another day. You would be surprised day. how different people come into your circles of of influence shall we say mm. your, your various spheres and they're like they don't know how they got there they don't know what else you do they just know that they're kind of happy with where they are you know <laughs> mm-hmm. there's some people who have like listened to me talk about food and go wait you right <laughs> <laughs> oh man well we have you here to talk mostly about writing but I'm sure we'll get off on a tangent as we normally do. If we do, don't end but... up on food, it's not on brand. Oh, no. We'll... <laughs> oh, sorry. We'll definitely no talk doubt we'll talk about food. All right. Just check. <laughs> um, all right. So I'm going to turn it over to Will. We'll always ask the first question, and then we'll see how it goes because, uh, you know, we'll see. I guess yeah. Well, Piper, I Uh-oh. asked this of all of our – everyone we interview, I love to ask this question because we get so many different comments, and they're always interesting. Cue I want you to, the deep headlight look. Ready? Yeah. I want you to describe your writing career in three words. <laughs> and they don't have to be like a, a short sentence. A it's sentence. three random words. Three random words. You no, know, I'm a novel writer, right? Like flash yeah. fiction is not my forte. <laughs> this is called practice, okay? <laughs> this is practice. This is She's called like, form, <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, Happily ever after. I love that. Okay, so describe that is so on 
you, Piper. That makes <laughs> sense. Well, no, seriously, if you think about it career-wise, all right, let's let, let's let's unpack this. Um because all right, so yes, I was one of those people who read all the time. I was one of those people who as a kid would would doodle and write little stories and say, I'm gonna be a writer, at which point my parents and my teachers and said, you know, you're part of the honors course. You're you're one of the gifted and talented program and you know, very I I even had that uncle that would lean over at holiday parties and be like, become a doctor or a lawyer. You know, it was it was very wow. much, hey, it's wonderful that you love to read. It's wonderful that you've been reading blah, 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 since blah, 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 et cetera. It's wonderful that you have been keeping the family in free personal pan pizzas with the Book It program every Friday for the last eight years, <laughs> right? But I read a lot of books and wow. I could prove it. And that was 25 <laughs> books a week for one personal pan pizza. And there were two children. I'm a, the oldest out of three, but my brother was too small to be like actually eating his own pizza. So- I just had to keep the family in two personal pan pizzas every Friday at <laughs> Pizza wow. Hut um, throughout elementary school and middle school until I aged out of the program, basically. <laughs> and and they're like, but you need to keep your head out of the clouds, get your feet on the ground, and really start preparing for college, start taking the SATs in sixth grade, and derp, 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 you know, that whole advanced track, let's keep your mind on college and you're not allowed to do anything or have interests outside of what can be conducive towards getting you into college. Um, so I didn't actually start pursuing and building my writing career until around the turn of 2009 into 2010. Part of that was because I was writing and I was playing around with NaNoWriMo, etc. cetera. Uh, and I was married in a first marriage at the time. And my uh, husband at that time felt my books were kids' things. Aww. Didn't matter. My entire sci-fi fantasy collection was a bunch of kids' things, and he was no longer going to allow it in the budget. And he wanted a divorce from me, at which point he realized rather radically that, A, I made three times his salary. So this whole budget thing was my attempt to make our marriage work. Since he wanted a divorce, he no longer had access to my salary. Oh, boy. <laughs> and which meant I had a whole lot of money to spend on books. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I decided through the course of that divorce that I was going to pursue sharing my stories. And I wanted to write happily ever afters for someone else's story because my life at that moment was not a happily ever after. And that was okay. Right. So that was the start of my writing career. And a lot of my stories were turning out, even though I came from science fiction fantasy as a reader, were very, very much centered around this, the relationship. And I wanted happily ever afters for my characters, which by definition turns into a romance. And that's <laughs> how I started my career. And I continued my career through all of the different genres that I write. You know, I started in paranormal romance. I wrote science fiction romance. I've written science science fiction, just straight science fiction. I've written steampunk. Uh, wow. I was asked to switch over to romantic suspense. In all of those, there were things that you could tell and pull. One of them was most definitely the happily ever after. If I'm going to write, my joy comes from writing. It's because of that happily ever after. And also action scenes. I'm not saying my books don't have a body count, but <laughs> <laughs> they were romances. And I also was writing happily ever afters that weren't necessarily the mainstream, right? Because there is a certain portion of the reader um, population for romance that very strongly is looking for a happily ever after that is get married and have kids. Mm -hmm. 
But a lot of my happily ever afters were, hey, let's make this happen. Let's try this. You know, in particular, one of my books in the True Hero series, Fierce Justice, both the hero and the heroine have their own careers. And they agree to make this relationship work, even though he's got a job in Asia and she's got a job in Hawaii. And people are like, that's not a happily ever after. And I'm like, why? Because they don't live together. (laughs) It's not like they can't travel. It's not like they can't visit. And they're like, well, that doesn't work in romance. I'm like, excuse me, Matthew J. Drake and I were long distance for four years. (laughs) We did not move in together for the first four years of a relationship. He was deployed for a year of that. The rest of the time he was here in the US, but I was in Maryland and he was stationed up in North Dakota. Trust me, I visited. Those mosquitoes bit through my jeans. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> right. But our relationship was one that still held strong. Thanks to Starcraft 2. Thanks to League of Legends. He even got the beta for Diablo 3 and we beat it together. Aww. <laughs> so yeah, happily ever afters at that time for me was just defining what I wanted as a happily ever after. And it didn't have to be married with kids. And now happily ever afters still, hey, let's find out what happily ever after works with this story. I don't know. So Yeah. Those are the three words. So about that happily ever after, you know, there tends to be like genre critics, right? Like where mm-hmm. people can be like genre snobs toward romance, towards science fiction, towards fantasy. What do you think about when people feel like there can't be great work in those genres? When you were first writing, did were there little voices in your head saying that like, you know, this isn't like a real career. This isn't like a real, uh, like serious writing. Like, did you have any of those voices in your head at the time? I think it was interesting because when I first started writing with an eye towards publishing, right? Like actually sharing my work rather than journaling, um, I was writing without defining the genre yet. I was writing the story that I had in my head. And then when I started to seriously look at publication, I started saying, hey, do I know how to define my story? Do I Am I able to tell an agent or an editor where this belongs on a shelf? And when I started looking at genre and being able to better understand where my stories fit, because, you know, sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes cross-genre particularly isn't easily shelved physically. But we're entering a digital age. So I was able to be able to, like, able to be able to, blah, blah, blah. I was able to identify the metadata, which is a part of my parallel career, shall we say, my day job. I was able to identify the metadata. And I felt that that was good. And what that told me was that, yes, I'm actually a romance writer. Uh, And what I loved about romance was that it was an umbrella that covered so many subgenres that... It was just about what was central to my story. So I didn't think of my work as not serious, but I did encounter a lot of people who were like, oh, this is great, but when are you going to write a real book? Or I don't read romance. I'll read when you write something for serious. You know, I had plenty of friends like that. I had a lot of my, again, I came from science fiction and fantasy. I attended a lot of sci-fi cons. I had a lot of friends around that time who attended those sci-fi cons and met me there and, and were like, yeah, no, I, I only read science fiction or I only read fantasy. And so there was some of, of that impression, right? Romance gets it a lot that it can't be that good. But I had read a lot of romance. Uh, 2008, 
I was at SakuraCon here in Seattle before I even lived in Seattle. And my friend Helen, who has been an avid reader, and we knew each other since we were seventh grade. She was where I went to read all the things I wasn't allowed to read at home because it wasn't conducive to getting me into college, right? Like, so that's how I got into comics. That's how I got into manga. That's how I got into everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and Helen had left on the bed uh, in our hotel room this huge, thick, gorgeous fantasy. And I was sick because I'd been out late watching anime in the viewing rooms and maybe had a too many fried pickles. <laughs> and so I was calling it you know, I was hanging out in the hotel room. So I start reading this book and it's this sweeping, sweeping fantasy. It's gorgeous. And it's got a Cinderella trope to it. And it's got this hero who had a love and she passed away. And when she passed away on the battlefield, he scorched the world. Centuries later, he finds his soulmate and it's a different person. And He's got to figure out whether he can learn to love again. And I was entranced. I was entranced by the idea of a Terran soul, a huge, gigantic cat with wings that could breathe fire. Come on. (laughs) Right? And then I'm like, hell, we got to go to Barnes & Noble. And for anybody who's been to SoccerCon, it's only a couple blocks away. I was like, I need this book. I need the next one. And she's like, yeah, sure. So we go. You know, and and of course, I'm like buying her food so that it's worth going. And she's like, oh, it's over here. I'm like veered away from the science fiction fantasy into the romance. I'm like, where am I? What happened? (laughs) She's like, duh. I was like, okay. And she's like, well, if you're into romance, I've been waiting years, years for you to get into romance. So here we go. And she opened the floodgates. And I will tell you, friends, if you ever approach a friend who's a romance writer, it'll happen. There are boxes and boxes and boxes of romances in their basement. They have (laughs) TBRs that are six, seven, eight hundred, sometimes thousand long that they still haven't gotten around to reading to on their Kindles or their e-readers. Like Helen was actually one of those early readers back in the Alora's Cave days that was reading digital before it was available on an e-reader, right? So it was getting mm-hmm. emailed to her computer back in the Windows, oh, wow. before the yeah. Windows 95 days, yeah. right? And she was reading then. Like, romance readers embraced that technology before <clears throat> science fiction did, <laughs> I would argue. Mm-hmm. And so she just opened these floodgates and yeah, sure. We had plenty of friends. We're like, when are you going to write a real book? When are you going to write a real book? But you know what? Helen was there reading my stuff and showing me all these other romance authors who were amazing. I fell in love with Nalini Singh. And I'm sorry. When she start the Side Changeling series, when she start her Angels series, and you realize that this has so many New York Times bestsellers, you just stop counting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at a yeah. baker's dozen you know like, mm-hmm. there's there's a certain level of quality you just don't question anymore and right. romance authors i i cannot think of a skill greater than knowing what the ending is gonna be but being able to engage readers because they want to be there for the ride because they fall in love with the characters they breathe the characters they heart the characters they fall in love with all of the supporting characters and they gather them up and they hope that those characters get their happily ever afters too like there's nothing like the romance readership so once i found the romance readerships i'm all about the gateway to bring y'all in <laughs> but you know what it's kind of like people who don't like chocolate that's okay more for me fair enough i like that <laughs> perfect <laughs> I liked what you said. I like what you said earlier, um, just about what a happily ever after is and what a relationship can be to. And I think I don't know. I, I spent some time away from my wife, I and mean, we've been together eighteen years now. 
And I proposed to her right before I moved to Seattle, actually, and lived there for about seven months. And when you said video games, that's how we connected. We played EverQuest 2 together. EverQuest, um, Yeah, exactly. I actually maybe sort of proposed to her through the game. But that's a story for a different day. But it's it's interesting to see what people think about what heavily ap- happily ever after actually means. You know what I mean? Um and and challenging that I think is really important. So I'm glad you said that. I it just reminded me of of just being apart from my wife and and playing Evercrack together and and spending hours into the night uh, doing that just to stay connected. You know. Well, one of the things that I love about my fellow romance authors, all of my colleagues, is that I've experienced so much inclusivity, and I'm lucky because there. Are, I'm not saying that romance doesn't have to clean its own house because it does, right? <laughs> but I am lucky because the romance authors that I have had the privilege to interact with and learn from have written stories and talked about stories and set goals to write more stories that include so many other takes on what is happy, Mm -hmm. who deserves happy, and what can a future be like? You know, how are relationships structured? I, I mean, consent is something that I talk about in my classes a lot. And romance is one of the only places that I've ever seen it pounded into people as an absolute necessity. Yeah. Um, not to say that it isn't there in other genres, but I've just seen so much conscientious inclusion when it comes to that, when it comes to different kinds of relationships um, from a from a sexual perspective, right? Like <laughs> romance readers know what you're talking about when you say MMF. They know what you're talking about when you say FF. They know what you're talking about when you say FM. You know, all of those combinations and rounds, like there is, yes, you can find just about everything that you're looking for. And and a romance reader will probably, if it's not their thing, they'll probably be able to point you in the direction of somebody whose thing it is. And there's no judgment. There's just, oh, yes, or oh, no. Mm -hmm. And and also no judgment if it's not for you. It's okay if it's not for you, right? right? DNF does not mean I hate it. DNF just means I didn't finish it because it wasn't for me. Yeah. And I I love that definition. And the other thing I love, and I'm starting to see more and more, and I want to see more and more, and I want to write more and more, is that it doesn't have to be about sexuality, right? Like there's something about the romance of relationships and companionship that you'll find in romances where you'll have forever, forever best friends, forever, forever soulmates, right? And it doesn't yeah. have to be about sexuality. And that's still a romance in ways. And you'll find them. And I think that having a genre that can can include that many and expand definitions that much for how relationships can be, uh, it's so worth it to be a part of it. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I think, too, when you... There's a couple things that I really love about romance from a craft perspective. I think when you come from a place of writing science fiction or say writing mystery, like me and Nick and Marshall talk about this a lot. Um, The way that romance can build tension um, between human interactions, I think is the best ever in any type of genre. Like that's what makes it masterful. And I feel like anyone who wants to be a writer really should read romance because mm-hmm. there's so many craft techniques that you can learn and build upon no matter what you're writing. What are your thoughts about that, Piper? <laughs> um, 
You know, it's interesting because it was in romance that I saw someone say, hey, raise your hand or, or call out or shout out if you're one that takes a book that wrecked you, that destroyed you. And you make and you get a separate a second copy so that you can put notes in the margins as to how the hell they did that, right? Because <laughs> romance readers do that. Oh, I don't know how she did it, but oh my gosh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like totally ripped me to shreds. I need to go dissect how they did it. Uh, from a craft perspective, I have learned so much from romance writers, and I have to say, you know. I no longer belong to the Romance Writers of America at this time because, as I said, we have to clean house. Uh, And the organization had such an egregious break that I decided to step away for some time. Um, I don't know if I'll go back, but I did some aspects of Romance Writers of America that I did appreciate was that not only was it a national organization, but the local chapters were ones that allowed for monthly meetings, that allowed for workshops, that allowed for mentorship um, and I tried to actively contribute to that, whatever state I was living in at the time, because I move around quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that those workshops, like romance writers are so willing to teach other romance writers mm-hmm. and share. And I've so enjoyed that when it comes to craft, like I have, you know, <laughs> and no holds barred. Like there's some, I have some of the most merciless critters that I have ever had read my work were were fellow romance novelists. Like they're like, GMC, where's your goal, your motivation, your conflict? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? You know, they push, they they push for it. It needs to be in every single scene. Every single paragraph has to have to do with something about goal, motivation, and conflict. Otherwise, how are you driving this story forward? Mm -hmm. Where is your characterization? Why, what is driving the character? Where's your voice? You know, and that's that's some heavy duty writing craft and then if you think about some of some of the giants upon shoulders we stand like look at miss bav look at nora roberts like they yeah. they write their work right that's not they're not necessarily they don't employ ghostwriters they write their work and they're kind of amazing mm-hmm. otherwise you know they would have faded away but they aren't just amazing writers they're amazing writers who evolve and continue to evolve. Like, if you were to read something from Miss Bev from a decade ago, it's going to be different from what she writes now because she's continued to evolve and learn. Nora Roberts, same deal, right? Like, think about your favorite authors yeah. and the ones that have been around for a while. They evolve. Every book has has pulled something out of them and made them more. And I think that romance writers, because we write at such a faster cadence, it isn't a lower quality of book. We're actually just like constantly in boot camps. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's literally like every book is a boot camp and we are leveling up and we are hardcore speed leveling yeah. as we do so. And I, you know, some of my favorite authors are the ones who are like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to take this course and learn this thing so that I can apply it to my books. Right. The authors who I have found that I've kind of tapered off and not really been as interested in their writing are the ones who are like, yeah, I don't feel like, yeah, I don't go to cons anymore to attend the panels. Like, unless I'm invited to teach, I just don't attend. And I'm like, oh, well, that's a choice. Yeah. I I like the comparison to speed leveling a bit. It's interesting because, you know, you're right. The faster cadence is interesting, but if you're constantly evolving, I mean, I've been in gaming communities for so long and it's like the people that spend the most time on the game and the most time work on the content 
are evolving or leveling up faster, right? It's interesting. And they're they're creating new ways to play the game. Like StarCraft 2, there is some crazy strategy that was going on with the people who were really in those ladders. Mm-hmm. Seriously, I was plot on the ladder at one point. I would never be again. I just <laughs> it's not gonna happen. But like there were some there were some players that were constantly rewriting how you can win. Crazy. And it's ridiculous. It's yeah. fantastic. And I think when it comes to speed too, like I, I can't stand it when I hear the term hack. Oh, well, they're just a hack or, you know, it's a hack like genre. I think people equate art with difficultness and that you have to be this tortured soul to produce. And it's just, it's, you know, like it takes long, long periods to create like great art, which I don't agree with that at all. I think, I think art can go at the flow of what you push yourself to be. And Art has many different paths. So you can write quickly, you can write slowly. Neither one is um, better than the other. It depends on what you're writing, how you want to write, how you push yourself to write. And I think, you know, um, we need to let go of that. I don't really like when people put labels on how quickly someone writes and it being less talented. I don't mind if someone is able to describe themselves and what they want, right? Because what you'll find is a lot of people, when they have goals, they need to find a way to verbalize it and communicate it. And we're writers. We need to be able to make our words, uh, you know, and and define how we feel. Otherwise, what are we doing? Um, So I think that if a person wants to be a tortured artist, they want to be able to survive, but they want their work to reflect the agony that they've gone through to create it, go for it all for them. But that's not what my writing is for me. And that's not necessarily what writing would be for other people, right? I think the majority of the romance readers that are romance authors that I have met love story. They love characters, right? And even if they're mean to their characters, even if they put their characters through hell, it's to put them through a crucible so that they become something more. And I respect that too. Do romance writers write at an insane cadence? Yes. I am not the fastest writer out there. There are a lot of writers who I seriously respect that hit 700,000 words a year. You know, they put out six, sometimes 12 books or publications a year, varying lengths. You know, they, I will say this about a lot of the romance writers that I know is that they know how to hustle. And when I say hustle, Mm -hmm. I mean, they work hard, they plot really marketable series. And then they have it planned in such a way that it is executable in a realistic amount of time. Can I turn out books like that? No, personally, I can't. And that's okay. That's my cadence. I've always been a distance runner, right? Like I got a slow and steady pace, (laughs) you know, and, and that's the way it is. Uh, And that's okay too. And you know what? None of my writer friends who can write faster than I can judge me for the fact that I write slower and they celebrate my wins and my achievements and my books as much as I celebrate theirs. And I think that is more about the writing community that I love, both about writing excuses, about the science fiction, the fantasy, the horror, the mystery writers that I hang out with, as well as the romance writers that mm-hmm. I hang out with. And so we all kind of go, like, we all appreciate and celebrate each other's accomplishments with much respect, regardless of how long it took or the cadence we chose. 
right? It's like a whole bunch of Olympian level athletes going, Hey, how you doing? Yeah. We don't, we don't ask what sport you're in. <laughs> we don't ask what kind of training you go to. We're all here. <laughs> it's fine. So let me ask you this then, since we're talking about like at the speed of what you're writing, did you start out saying, okay, like I have to come out with two books a year, three books a year. Um, and how hard or easy was it setting those goals at first? Oh, phew. <laughs> My first book was a shorter novel, like probably at the very, very shortest you could possibly call a novel. It was only about 50,000 words at the time. And uh, it was picked up by a new starting digital first publishing house, very small. And in, I learned so much from them right from the very beginning. And they didn't say, hey, you need to get us the next book by blah, 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 right? At that time, since I was a new author, it's like, what do you have finished? I have this one manuscript. Does it have serious potential? Yes. We'll be interested in the next book when you give it to us. Okay. So I turned out a novella at 25,000 right around the end of that year. And I said, do you want to read this? They were like, yes. And then they asked, hey, is there going to be a third? And I was like, well, the series has potential for a third. If you're interested in it, I will finish it and send it to you. So again, like it was that we would like you to send us the finished manuscript. We would like you to send us the finished manuscript. Around that time, I also sold Hunting Cat, which was the second series. And I sent it or a different series completely with science fiction romance rather than paranormal. Mm -hmm. uh, and I sold that to Harlequin's Karina Press, which is their digital first uh, portion of Harlequin, Karina Press. And Hunting Cat was a novella at, I don't know, 30,000. Like I was, I had sent it in for, uh, to a call for submissions for novellas. And it was picked up by an editor who had never edited science fiction before and had never read science fiction before, but she loved the story and she loved the character. So she wanted to learn about the genre while she was editing me. And so it was an adventure together. And she not only took that, but she was like, I would like to see a novel come out of the series because you ended this on a happy for now, which is <laughs> not quite the same as a happily ever after, like, because they didn't commit to a relationship so much as they said, let's try to make this work and date for a while and see how it goes. Right. Like I left that story ending on that. Cause that's how it felt. Right. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, yeah, that's a happy for now. So is there a novel that comes after this? And I was like, okay, I'll write a novel. And she's like, I'll give you a contract when you write that novel. Okay. And then she took a proposal because a couple of authors had gotten together with me and said, Hey, we'd like to propose this other paranormal romance. Can you hand in the proposal since you're already with that publishing house? to Karina Press. And I said, okay. And I sent it and the editor came back and said, we'd like to acquire your novella out of this collection. And we'd like to turn yours into a three book proposal. And it was the first time that I was being offered a contract where the books aren't, weren't already written, where I, I didn't have wow. um, the manuscripts ready. And it was, right. it was only what, 2010, 2011, like what, one, two years into my career. And I wasn't going to say no. I checked back with the authors that I was in the original proposal with. And they were like, no, go for it. Go get it, girl. Right again, yeah. with that whole romance writers are kind of awesome that way. Like they didn't hold it against me. They were just celebrating the success and like, go, 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 go. Um, you know, because I would have stopped if they had been like, no, let's do this together. Let's stick together. But they were like, no, take it, go. And 
we created the London Undead series. And that was the first time that I defined in a contract a cadence for how fast I was going to turn out books. And they were going to be 25,000. Um, so I tried to base it based on the books that I had written before and the fact that, yeah, I have a day job too, <laughs> right, right. by the way. <laughs> and so I set the cadence for, I think, four months each, which, you know, may uh, that's completely relative, right? Like that might seem like a lot of time for some people and that may seem like not enough time at all for others. But that's what I set it to. And I tried to meet those deadlines. And by the third book, I was struggling to meet the deadlines partially because they were all over the place. And my editing for the other two books was actually slowing me down for writing the third book, which was something that I hadn't been prepared for with my experience. Because what you start to realize, and I teach in my project planning workshops, is that you oftentimes, it's not about just turning in your book, right? Your editor is going to work with it. You're not absolutely sure when your editor is going to come back. But when they come back, that starts a ticking time where they give you approximately insert number of work weeks here, depending on which edit cycle it's in, right? If it's a developmental right. edit, it might be two months, it might be two weeks, who knows, it depends on the book, it depends on how much needs to change. You work out that with your editor, but you also don't know when that time is going to start. So it's in the middle of drafting the next book on contract when those edits came in. And then I turn like I'd stop everything, turn them around and then try to get back to the manuscript. Right. And then those edits came back again, however much time later. So cadence was something that I was I, I did start early in my career because I started going on proposal rather than handing in the manuscript and having it acquired. So that is where I think the most important factor comes in. I would say now I don't know what my cadence is because I burned out in 2019 to 2020, partially due to the pandemic, but also partially due to my day job in 2019 in general. And so I'm relearning what my cadence is now. And that's okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go on with the next question. I thought Marshall had something to say. No, Nick. I was just like, I, I, but Nick I'm has just, something. I see the hands. Yeah, please, Nick, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I, I keep myself on mute because I never know if my kids are actually asleep or not. Um, <clears throat> and if you can't tell, I've had a little bit of whiskey and I'm really red. Um, <laughs> it's Irish in me, I swear. I'm over here really self-conscious about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is embarrassing. Oh You're God. fine. If it makes you feel handsome. better, you give me a thimble full of anything alcoholic and I will turn just as red. It happens. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm really enjoying just sitting here and listening everything that you have to say because it's, you're kind of counteracting a lot of what I've learned quote unquote, when I first was getting into the writing and going to cons and hearing what people had to say about the romance genre and romance authors and things like that. Um, and you know, will mentioned to earlier as well, kind of spoke to it about being hacks or, you know, the genres just, you know, you turn out as fast as you can and whether it's good or not, as long as you hit the, the quote unquote formula, um, mm -hmm. for romance. And so I wanted to ask you about cadence and, because we in the science fiction and fantasy world, like Brandon Sanderson's a phenom when he puts out 800,000 words a year, but mm -hmm. sometimes that's normal for romance. So what's, what's the giving take there when it comes to romance? Why is that something that's a little bit more common on that end in the genre than I would say that I've ran into in the fantasy genre? That's a good question. I think that it depends on the writer, 
right? The, the authors that come immediately to mind that can write that much. Uh, Katie Robert is a person that I mention quite often in my interviews, uh, partially because we're good friends and I really respect her work. Uh, but also because, especially in the last year, if you look at her social media, she has taken such joy in just writing what delights her and screw what you're supposed to do. I'm going to go do this, right? Like, no, Katie, no, Katie, don't do that. Yes, no, I'm going to do it anyway. Bye. You know, or or she'll tweet, oh, I'm thinking I might do this. No, that'd be unwise. 10 minutes later, I did it anyway. Here's the first chapter, right? <laughs> like, it's so delightful to watch her just be like, I'm going to go do this thing. Bye. <laughs> she just, and, and it's like, she uh, will be the first one to tell you that she's a little bit driven by spite. You tell her not to, and she's going to be like, hold my beer. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and on the other hand, it's also the fact that she's just taking such joy out of it. One of the things that she taught me, and I know she got this from somebody else. I just can't remember who else right now. I just remember she shared it with myself and a couple of other authors, um, is to create an id list. What delights your id? And she said that way, when you feel yourself lagging and not really sure or like in the middle of a thing where you want to portray a thing, but you also don't know quite what you want to happen that would delight you and you're starting to slow down, you look at the id list and see if something pings with you. So things on an id list would be um, one of those moments where the characters fall into a body of water and suddenly they have hypothermia. So now they have to strip down and cuddle. <laughs> Right, like I love those moments. <laughs> That's an endless thing. Um, or you know, another endless thing for me would be one of those moments where um, a guy, like uh, maybe a guy, maybe a girl, whoever, a character walks in and they overhear someone else on a tear intellectually about a thing, and they just go off, going, "You know what? No, you have to understand something." A kraken is a cephalopod and a hydra is a metazoa, all right? It's a single-celled organism. They exist. They're tiny, but they are visible to the eye. Don't get me started. But a kraken, on the other hand, is a cephalopod and they do have a shell. It's just a beak on the inside, the buccal part, all right? At which point, like, <laughs> like whoever the other character is, is like, shwing. That was fantastic, right? Like, <laughs> that's an id moment for me, right? When somebody just goes off on something that's just a font of random information, but they're incredibly showing their personality. And the other person is like, I don't know who this is, but now I need to know. Sight unseen. I'm in love. <laughs> right? like, awesome. Who is this person talking about hydras and metazoa? Come on. Right? <laughs> so like you create this list of awkward moments or, or moments of accidents that you absolutely love and you put them in a list and if you hit one of those spots then you're like oh i think this works for what yeah. i also need to portray or need to happen or need for the scene to drive the plot forward but this moment works and if you have them ready as delighters right like i will tell you right now spoiler for the paranormal romance that i'm writing right now I was in the middle of a point where my heroine's sleepwalking and I decided, no, she's sleep flying out in the sky. How do we get her down before somebody shoots her down? What? 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 How did <laughs> she have amazing. wings in the first place? Right. And so the, the hero flies up there because he's a vampire who has the power of flight in my world. Vampires may or may not 
different vampiric powers for different vampires uh, and starts to dance with her romantic across the moonlit sky. Wee. And then I'm like, you know what? This is a little too much. I'm just going to have him drop her in the ocean. Whoosh. Splash. (laughs) (laughs) That happens. And that's a part of my id list is to like do that kind of thing where there's this breathless romantic moment and they're looking and then, and then something else happens. Like sometimes it'll be a dog coming into the room and the girl's like, nope. Mm-mm, I will not hanky panky in front of a dog, and neither will any of my characters. Okay, um, <laughs> <laughs> just like that's so funny. So I think that a lot of these authors that I respect that can punch out these word counts, it's because they have a lot of tools in their toolbox. Yeah. They're not repetitive, but they know how to pull them when they're at a loss and they're sitting there staring at the page, wondering what do they do next. They know what their id list is, and they know how to make those situations. Um, occur, you know, like if you watch any anime of choice, there's always a beach episode. Yeah. Right? You watch any anime of choice, there's always a school trip. You watch yeah. any anime of choice and somebody trips and their underwear goes, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> are those tropey? Is that a, f- no, because they're tropey, but people still love it. They love that moment and they love to see how it occurs in that story. Right. And I think that really good writers who also write fast it's because they know what they love they know what their readers love and they know how to give it to them in a fresh way all right i love pbj and matthew makes the best sandwiches ever and he has never made me the same pbj twice that might be the cutest thing i've ever heard (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry i'm just gonna you just (laughs) wrote me and bothered me into this look we all know matt of course they do. And Matthew's amazing. And we Matthew all love it. Matthew is amazing. And just, I know him, and he's going to put the effort into that PB&J every <laughs> oh, single yeah. time. I'm telling you, sometimes you eat a PBJ and you get to one corner, and you'll find out he hid a little bit of honey in there. <laughs> and another time you'll go through it, and you'll find out that he put fig on one side, and he put, um, you know, like boysenberry on the other side. Wow. Or... You know, there's like a little bite of crunchy peanut butter at the end of one corner, like <laughs> just to change the experience of the sandwich. <laughs> that That's a person that knows what they're doing. Yep. He is a master. He is an artist of sandwiches. <laughs> I, I cannot tell you how, like if you, if he ever offers to make you a sandwich, A, plan yes. for it to take an hour, <laughs> like go have a snack. It's going to take a while. It's gonna take and a while. then B, it will be worth it. <laughs> just just reflect back to the beginning of this interview yes it did come back to food right on brand <laughs> yeah <laughs> um uh, another another question that i have for you too uh you were mentioning cons and how you stop you kind of stop reading authors who only go to cons to teach and things like that um when in the romance world and because you know they just that's what they want to do. They don't want to attend anymore. They just want to teach. Um, I, didn't stop writing them. I, I didn't stop reading them because I found that out about them, but I noticed the correlation. Like, hey, I kind of fell out of reading your work. Now hearing you say that, I kind of figured out why. So my follow-up question to that is, do you see that with other genres as well? Sure. Uh, Ann Bishop is somebody that we talked about um, and there are some, like, before we started this thing, I love Ann Bishop's Black Jewels. 
right? But there's a certain point in the evolution of that Black Jewels series where I don't go back and reread all of them anymore. Like I've read them all, but I don't go back and reread them all anymore because I'm kind of preserving the feels Mm. that I love Mm. that I reread over and over about the first three novels, as well as um, Twilight's Dawn and uh, the, the other one that's not coming to me right now, but it's another collection of the short stories as well as, you know, Tangled Web and, you know, a whole bunch of those in the original kind of storyline. I've loved a lot, but you know, the author has evolved. She went and she wrote the other series, which is also very good. And I really like it, but it has a different voice. Mm-hmm. And I will readily tell people that I don't love the uh, others series as much as I love the black jewel series. But now that she's gone to the others and she's come back to start writing some of the black jewels, I'm not as into those newer black jewels novels. Like I gave him a, a, a role and it's not that she doesn't teach Right. Like in this case, it's that um, that the evolution of where she's writing isn't where I am. Right. Uh, so on one hand, that's evolution. On the other hand, mm-hmm. like going back to the idea of somebody who doesn't learn anymore. There have been some authors where I have my favorites and they're putting out new books that feel very much like the old ones. So I have a tendency to default back to the old ones that I loved because the new ones are echoes in story structure and voice and what they're doing with the story and what they're doing with the characters. But it feels like the next generation only the same and nobody learned anything. So I'd rather just go fall in love with the original generation. It's kind of like Naruto. Don't tell Naruto fans, but Baruto's not really for me. (laughs) I'm not, I won't say anything. Oh, I'm getting side-eyed though. I want to say sure? anything. I haven't watched Baruto, and I see all the hate on him. But I'm just like, I'm, I'm gonna- not hating on Baruto. I just oh, some people are like death to Uzumaki, like forever. Okay. And I'm just like, I'm sorry. It's just the whole world of Naruto is my love language. Like, <laughs> I don't but care. Tell me a bad Naruto story. Characters learned. It, it doesn't feel like the storytellers have learned something new when they were doing this mm-hmm. new generation. And that's kind of why I tapped out because there's so much other stuff to read. You know, if they were learning something new, if they were evolving, then I would want to come and evolve with them. That, that makes sense. I think it's interesting because I can think of one writer that I grew up writing that there was a shift in her stories that a lot of people did not like. Mm-hmm. And why I think when that shift happened, I don't think it was her best stories, but then I felt like they did get better. And then where she's at now, it's definitely gotten better. Well, I think that that's always interesting too, right? So let's talk evolution some more because, you know, I think where I was going when I said that a person doesn't evolve anymore because they're not learning anymore, it's because they get stagnant, right? Like, so mm-hmm. I've read their story and I've read their story a bunch of times. We're done now. But when it comes to evolving and learning, sometimes anybody with any skill, like I learned this with photography, it takes you a while. And we learned this with writing excuses. When you learn new skills, you'll plateau. And sometimes you'll go try these new things and you'll be worse because you're executing with a different set of tools and a different skills that you're not familiar with. And therefore you just don't do as well. For example, when I lost the use of my hands in 2019, 
I had to start trying to write by dictation. And I also was trying to use a grip aid Mm. to write with pens. And so I had this big grip aid in my hand and I'd be trying to write with pen. And I looked like a person trying to learn how to write because like it's a scribbly, scrawly kind of thing. Cause I used to have this gorgeous penmanship and my penmanship was a big, hot old mess. It looked like somebody tied a pen to a spider and let it run away from me after I was trying to destroy it because that's what happens when you put spiders in front of me. Um, (laughs) So I think that, when a writer is trying to learn something new or trying to use new tools, they are potentially going to backslide a little bit for some readers. You know, they're always going to have some readers who love it anyway, because they got it and and they got the spirit of it and they got what they needed out of the book. But there's going to be a pretty decent amount of the readership who's like, yeah, this book wasn't as good. And then two, three books later, they know how to use the tools. They're executing well. And this book is amazeballs and bajonkers and so much better than anything they wrote before. So I think the one author I'm thinking of, I feel like it was something going on in their life that was changing their perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm gathering from the interviews and everything. And then it started, the certain story beats were coming back, right? But on the flip side, and I'll mention this author because both authors I love, but one of them- I was going to say, are we not naming names? Because <laughs> I've named <laughs> um, a whole bunch of names already and I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm lying over here. I feel like I know the author, Will. Come yeah. on. Um, just because I would love to have her on the show. So, Marshall, please edit this out. Um, it's Laurel <laughs> K. Hamilton. <gasps> the Anita Blake series. I, and I the Mer- love her. Yeah, and the, the Mary Venturing. And I love her. And this thing is, is I've read almost every, except for three of the newest books, because I just, ha- I would like to read them like in fives now, because mm-hmm. I always wait too much for them. Um, I loved, I always tell Nick, I love the first nine 100%. Obsidian mm-hmm. Butterfly is her ninth book, and it is my all time favorite. The other books, I still love Narcissist in Chains. It was some of like the Incubus Dreams and the Dance Macabre. I didn't feel like it gave me that punch. And a lot of people are like, it's too much sex. It's too much sex. And I didn't think it was for me. That was what it was. I felt like at that period, Anita was really going into her head a lot Mm -hmm. in some of those books that I felt like were slower. And I feel like it was from what I've read, like what I've read interviews with Laurel K. Hamilton is I felt like she was at a point in her life that there was a shift of things Mm -hmm. happening in her life. So those were the stories she needed to tell. And she still gets kind of um, drugged down a lot from certain fans that hate on her and that like, I don't want to, I don't want to read you which stop it, stop it, stop it. I'm here with Will on this one. I think that. Oh, I'm booing the bad people. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's fine. But go ahead and finish. Like, I just (laughs) think um, for me, for those stories, for me, I constantly read her because I do believe Anita does change and she changes slowly, which is another thing I really love. But for me, when I see her, I love, I feel like I'm seeing old friends. Ah. Marshall, que- you're going to say question. Uh, am I editing out that whole conversation or what? Because I like no. that. Whatever you just no, said. Yeah. Right. Keep it. It's going to be fine. I, It'll be fine. Yeah, It'll be fine. Because I love her. Like I met her um, at a writing and this is right after I graduated. Um, no, this was right before I graduated from my Columbia. And I had a writing mm-hmm. professor um, tell me I need to stop um, 
writing science fiction and fantasy because it's not real writing. And I was so upset. And um, I went to her because I knew she had the same similar program. And I said, you know, like, I'm having trouble just writing period now. Because while I can write about stuff that really happened to me, sometimes it's really hard for me because I already went through trauma. Mm. And she said to me, she goes, you know what? She goes, is that person published in the field that you want to be in science fiction and fantasy? And I was like, no, she goes, yep. She goes, and she shared her experiences and everything. And she goes, so you know what? I took two years off and then I suddenly started writing again. But when I got up to like sign, get the signed book tour, she gave me, she got up. I was the only person she did this to. She gave me a really big hug and she said, do not give up. Keep writing because your dream will happen. And And that's so true. And I just felt like it was just her energy. And she said, you know, sometimes people don't like what I write, right? She goes, but you have to follow your path and you have to just shut out the noise because that's all that it is, is noise. Right. And I think that if we tie this back to kind of where this question jumped off of, right? I think that I have wandered away from the works of authors who stop learning and stop trying to evolve. Whereas I think it is also very fair to realize that everybody, including characters, evolve. Mm. And, you know, some readers will stick with it through the entire journey because it's the right thing to resonate with them. Uh, I will tell you right now, I, I read the Anita Blake series right up to Obsidian Butterfly. And then I tapped out, not because I didn't like the books anymore, but because they weren't resonating with me or striking the chord that I was looking for. And I wasn't getting the hit that I needed from reading those books. And that's okay. I didn't blame the author. I didn't blame Laurel K. Hamilton. I just said, look, I need to go read something else. And that's all right, too. Um, I think that it's right up there with why I I stopped running cross country. Like I wasn't getting the endorphin high I needed anymore from cross country running. So I started swimming, right? Like whatever you do what you got to do to get the feel that you want. Yeah. And I mean, Mary Gentry, I still consider Anita Blake and Mary Gentry very, very good learning. Like not just joy of reading, but I learned so much from those characters and what they went through and the choices they made and how they got to those choices and the characters around them. Like, I'm sorry, Ed, still super cool. <laughs> oh my right? God. Yeah, totally. Ah, so yeah. yeah, no, we can love them and we can tap out and then we can come back. Right. Patricia Briggs is one of my all time favorites. I was with her back when she was writing the CNM th- series. I discovered her when I was reading um, Steal the Dragon and When Demons Walk. Right. So when she went to urban fantasy and she started writing the Mercy Thompson series, I went with her. But like I had I was I was in from the fantasy. I was in from the Hurog series. I was in and from all of those, like the Hobbs bargain, right? The, the one-off fantasies. And so when Mercy Thompson started, I read pretty voraciously for the first three or four books. And then I tapped out for a couple of years and then I came back. And not to say just because I love P- Patty Briggs and her work that I stayed with it all the time, mm-hmm. right? Like you can tap out for a little while because of where you are in your life. And mm-hmm. authors can change the tone of what they write and even their voice based on what they're experiencing and what they're going through. Cause I'm going to tell you right now, I'm pretty sure that the majority of authors out there definitely use their books and their storytelling as therapy and catharsis. Right. right? And that's okay. It's actually rather healthy, way better <laughs> to do it 
that way, then other ways we're seeing certain things explode across the world today. <laughs> exactly. hundred percent. This is what I really wanted to talk about as well. I know we talked about Piper, about the book that you are currently contracted on mm-hmm. and because of, and I'm really specifically writing during the time of COVID and how the story has changed and you talking with your editor. So can you talk about your current work in progress and kind of the journey that it's been going through with, you know, your writing and just with like life in general and the craziness that has been 2020. Now we're into 2021. Wow. We might actually have to rewind to 2019, honestly, uh, because the reality is that I burned out. I -hmm. burned out because, um, gosh, if we rewind even farther, in 2016, uh, my agent landed me two book contracts simultaneously, two, three book deals as Piper J. Drake. Uh, And I was really, really driven to solidify myself in the romantic suspense genre. So I agreed to them. And we did our best to set the cadence and such so that I could deliver those books. And I did. But it was not a sustainable cadence. Like I, I worked my butt off for two, three years turning out those six books. And then I was extended on the True Hero series for an additional three books. And in 2019, in the January, February timeframe, um, some issues that I had with my spine really flared up in such a way that my neck, shoulders, back, all of those muscles started seizing and spasming and pinching nerves all the way down my arms until I could not close my hands around items. Like I couldn't pick up a tennis ball. And so I had to go into immediate physical therapy as we tried to figure out what the heck was wrong with me. Now, I would love to say that my doctors were able to identify the problem right away. But honestly, we didn't actually have a conclusive MRI until maybe November, December of 2019. And I did not take time off from my day job, nor did I stop writing. So... I was learning how to dictate on the fly. I was writing on the fly. I was in the middle of this three-book contract for the last of the True Heroes books. I had changed editors. My day job was incredibly intense. I was a practice manager leading a team of very, very growing. I went from four direct reports to 12 direct reports through the course of that time. And by 2020, when I turned in and, and, and Forever Strong, the last of the True Heroes books came out. In January, February timeframe of 2020, I had nothing left. I was completely burned out. But I had a four book deal with Sourcebooks. And that four book deal with Sourcebooks was for a romantic suspense. We had, um, and it was with the editor, Mary Kay Altman. And she's amazing. I had met her at a conference. Years and years prior at RT convention during a writing workshop that I was contributing to as a teacher mm-hmm. <laughs> right before RT. And it was just like I tell my students at Writing Excuses or anywhere else when they're like, what do you do when you go to BarCon and you sit down and you talk to agents and editors and you don't want to pitch, but you really want them to ask you about what you write. And I'm like, just be you and start talking about things that you're interested in. And eventually they will not be able to help or resist, but ask you. And that's exactly what happened between me and Mary Altman. We were sitting there, we were chatting, we were nibbling food, we were talking about stuff, we were talking about how much we love Doctor Who, and we were talking about all these (laughs) other science fiction fandoms and games 
that we like to play together and all of these favorite tropes. And then she goes, Piper, I have to ask, what do you write? <laughs> and I was like, well, right now I'm writing romantic suspense, but I also write these other things. And then her friend, her co-worker at the time, um, Kat, turned around and goes, that's the dog book. That's the dog book we lost. We tried to bid on it. We just couldn't keep it. And I'm like, uh-oh. So for the rest of the con, you know, Kat was doing this like eye thing where she's like, we're keeping our eye on you. And they would actually send source books people to come say hi to me at other cons while I was at the book signing tables. And I was so enamored that for years, I wanted to work with Mary Altman and Kat, one of them, Kat Klein. And so I had finally gotten in, sent them a proposal. Mary Altman was the one who nabbed it first. And then she worked with me to kind of refine the proposal into something that she fe felt was going to be a really good fit for Sourcebook. So it almost became this story that we were creating together and brainstorming together. And I had fully started The Missing. And then 2020 and the pandemic. And I literally found myself staring at this novel that was 75% done. I had written an introductory novella. I had a novel that was 75% done. And I couldn't write anymore. Like I didn't know what the world was going to look like. And I just couldn't write something so close to reality anymore. Because The Missing is was heavy duty. Like all of my romantic suspense does include a lot of really heavy duty topics like PTSD. Uh, I include... Uh, topics like human trafficking. Uh, for the missing, what we were talking about for each of the storylines was that people were looking for people who had gone missing, either because they'd been kidnapped or because they'd gone missing themselves, because they were the lost for reasons, whether that's abuse in the home, whether that's no one in family understanding and not having found family to go to, you know, a bajillion different reasons. And then the people who are looking for them are also finding themselves when they meet each other. Right. So there's second chances involved in those stories too. And I just, I couldn't go forward in 2020 like that. And I spent months trying to take a break. You know, you always, I recommend, I hope every author who is in a relationship with their agent and with their editor, at least with your agent, feel comfortable enough to raise a flag early as soon as it's happening so your agent has a clear picture as to what's going on so that they can go to bat for you. If your relationship isn't like that with your agent, then I would ask you to ask why. Because that's part of your team. Yeah. Right? And it's not just the team that you lead, it's the team that you're on. Like there there are layers to teams. And so the my agent was aware, you know, and she had suggestions and I was following them. And that had to do with the fact that she knew I was in therapy. She knew I was um, diagnosed with elements of depression and anxiety. She knew that I was progressing through working on coping mechanisms. She knew and she was understanding of how to handle also health challenges between my hands. I also have quite a few major medical challenges that I have been going through through the decades um, she was aware of them and she also helped me decide whether or not an editor needed to know about them or if she just needed to tell them that it was a medical challenge and that they should respect that. Um, she was the person that goes to bat for me on those things. And we actually finally got to a point where taking a break wasn't working, stepping away from the work and coming back to it wasn't working. So we decided to meet with Mary Altman and talk to her about the situation. And Mary was so incredibly understanding. And she said, well, Piper, 
can you write? And I said, I think I can write a different story. And she's like, talk to me. What, what kind of story do you think you can write? And we started talking about paranormals. We started talking about team werewolf versus team vampire. We were talking about my love for mythology and not the usual mythology that you're hearing so much about. Uh, for example, Katie Robert just had a cover reveal on the day of this recording for her neon gods, which is Olympus and Greek gods and Roman gods. And she's very well read and she made specific choices when it came to her retellings. But they are Greek and Roman mythology. My love for mythology goes into that, but I have a tendency to lean towards Thai mythology. I love Japanese mythology. I just backed a Kickstarter that um, is this amazing tarot card deck, and every card features a different Japanese mythological creature. Oh, wow. And I am just like, tarot card or not, I'm just thinking about 78 cards depicted and illustrated beautifully of all these different Japanese beasties and mythologies and storylines that I get to go look and be inspired and go research more about. Like That's <laughs> the kind of mythology that lights me up. I may need a link to that Kickstarter, please. <laughs> I will provide that to you. <laughs> and, you know, so I love Kitsune. I love the fact that a K-drama, um, oh gosh, Legend of the Nine-Tailed, maybe? Uh, it's a K-drama. I did not realize that Korean mythology featured a type of fox, nine-tailed fox demon that is very similar but very, very different from Kitsune in Japanese mythology. So I wanted to get into that. And so Mary talked to me about it and she said, look, there's the delight that I have for these stories that you want to tell. And I'm going to also, because Piper, you're a very realistic person and you have, you're very savvy about marketing. She's like, here's the elements in each story where we're going to have to give an anchor for the marketing team to be able to push something familiar for mainstream readers to recognize, to hook them in. And then these elements that you can introduce them to in the world. And so we talked about what's the familiar hook? What's the strawberry? What's the vanilla? And we're like, okay, so book one would be vampire pulls in. But Zing, the heroine's a Kinari, Thai bird princess. Ah, right? <laughs> and so we got into this thing where it was a concept of Black Dagger Brotherhood meets the librarians. And for romance readers, Black Dagger Brotherhood really tells them immediately that we're talking about a brotherhood, in that case of vampires. But in my case, it's a consortium of various types of familiar supernaturals. Right. And she said, okay, so book one is, and I'm like, vampire. And she's like, book two. And I was like, maybe a werewolf, maybe a witch. Not sure. Let's, let's see where the story goes and which one pops more as we develop the character. She's like, okay, I'm here for it. And, you know, we were talking about mermaids and selkies. And she's like, okay, maybe not books two and three. Let's hook them in first with the, the more familiar ones first. And if they're the romantic interest or if they come in as a supporting character later, that's fine. And that we talked about, like what's going to hook in and pull readers along with you so that once they trust you, they're here for it. And I love that conversation. It's a very, very good, open, inclusive. She was never going to stop me. If I decided, no, I don't want to do a vampire. I just want to go straight out with a kitsune right from book one. She would have listened to me, but she also offered her thoughts and opinions. And again, we brainstormed and we crafted together and we came up with this thing. And then the second thing she asked me, because she gets me, this is an editor who gets me. She goes, how fantastical are you wanting to go with this fantasy? Because it'll help me. Like She's like, do you see this going more and more towards the urban fantasy? 
or are you thinking this is paranormal romance? And I was like, hit me again in a different way. And she's like, are you going to go alt world, parallel world, and like almost second world fantasy? Or are you going to keep the world that we're in, but layer it with fantasy? And I'm like, okay, so we're talking Shadowrun versus World of Darkness. And she's like, yes. I'm like, I'm leaning more towards World of Darkness. And she's like, then I'm in. (laughs) And my agent, Courtney, is like, okay, I lost you two there. And I'm like, yeah, but that's why me and Mary have been dying to work work with each other. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So what we're doing is I'm writing this paranormal romance. And she said, you can have the missing. The missing is yours forever. Don't feel like we're going to give it to somebody else. When you're ready, you can write that romantic suspense. But for now... We're going to change and amend the contract so you can write this paranormal romance series. Turn it in. And we're going to start from there. And she's like, I think it has a lot of really, really good bones. It has a really good set of concepts. It's still new. It's still you. It's still the voice that you have. And she's like, and and I believe in it. And that is the dream interaction that you want to have with your agent and editor when you hit writer's block to the point where you cannot deliver. Now, Granted, she could have very much within her rights said, look, contract's broken. You can't deliver. Mm -hmm. Come to me with a finished manuscript and we'll consider a new contract. Right? Mm -hmm. Like she could have done that. She could have. And that would have been fair. And I, no harm, no foul. I would have respected that. But the thing was that I I had enough faith to come to her and talk to her and say, what can we do? Mm -hmm. So I will not tell every writer out there that that's a possibility. But the sooner that you give your agent a heads up and the sooner you give your editor a heads up, the sooner they can think about what they can do to work with you. And they can also be really honest within themselves and within their company and their business. Why do they want to work with you? What do you mean to their portfolio? Because this is a business. And luckily for me, there was room for what I felt I could write in their portfolio still. And so rather than, you know, hey, we have to do this or we have to do that and we understand, it was something that would work out really well for all of us. And we were still excited to all work with each other. That's like a happily ever after from that moment. I mean, in that in that relationship, which is good. Cause I mean, like I said, like you hear about like if it had gone a different way, like what would you have told I mean, I, I don't want to say ask what you would have done if they had said no, come back with the manuscript that you said, but we know this happens. So, I mean, I'm not really saying ask for, I'm not asking for advice per se, but like, I mean, what's what the worst, would, be what prepared would, for the worst case scenario? Well, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, what, what do you do in that situation if you do come up against that? Um, and maybe what, what would you have done? Maybe. I mean, and I'm only well, saying this just because I know there's a lot of aspiring writers that are looking for agents and stuff like that. And that relationship, that conversation is amazing. I um, mean, I'm so glad it worked out the way it did, but um, you hear horror stories all the time where it doesn't go that way. So I'm just curious now that we've yeah, talked about absolutely. it. I would say the first thing that absolutely is necessary is know your contract. Know your contract because that will outline exactly what the worst case scenario will be. Yeah. Um, at the very least, I was prepared to give back my advance. Oh, okay. Okay. And know that the contract was going to be broken and that there could be irreparable damage to my um, my reputation as an author who can deliver and finish the book. 
For sure. That was the worst case scenario that I was prepared for. And trust me, having depression and anxiety at the time, I was thinking it. It happened. I went through it. I beat myself over the head with it. It reared up and it like pounded me from the inside out. Yeah. So I was prepared for it. Secondly, let's break it down to the people involved. If my if my relationship wasn't as close with the editor, the editor could have held me to the contract to the very last letter, which meant probably the advance would have to be given back. If I didn't have the money, then they might say, okay, and there's things that they could do, but the cancer, the contract would still be over, potentially right. would not be working with that publishing house again, possibly, right? All of those things. Um, if my relationship was not good enough or as strong as it was with my agent, then I could have been dealing with this by myself and not had my agent there with me, holding my hand and ready to facilitate. Yeah. Right. And another thing about it is that I do have a lot of corporate knowledge. I do have a lot of professional knowledge and some that sometimes that works to my detriment, right? Because that does put some editors off that, Oh wow. Piper's really cold. It's no, like I'm so corporate. Piper is so corporate. Like, (laughs) <laughs> it puts people off, right? So right. so there have been editors who are like, I don't think she gets or or I don't think she cares because she's being so professional. Um, but at the same time, it gives me a level of confidence to know what I'm worth. Yeah. And because I have a day job with a career with a reasonable salary, me sitting here going, oh, I have to give the advance back isn't something that's going to really, really break the bank and become hardship for me. Right. Whereas that could happen to other authors, right? Like romance isn't a genre where you see advances all the time. Okay. A romance contract doesn't always have a an advance. And a lot of times, as compared to other industry genres, other speculative fiction genres, the advances are lower. That doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so... You have to be prepared. I'm not going to say that I had it in the bank and I didn't spend it, <laughs> but I would have been able to pay it back. Right. Whereas another author, that might be a source of panic. Like, how do I pay that back? But it is what we do as artists and professionals to say, hey, like if I've been paid for this thing in advance and I can't turn it in, then I got to be able to give the money back. For sure. Yeah. And that's fair. Mm-hmm. How hopefully you could seek with the editor and the publishing company a reasonable amount of time to be able to pay that back or some other way to make that appropriate, whether that's royalties or something else. For sure. Uh, so, Will, do you want to get down to our last couple? Is there anything else that I just we, have two more and, I'm, and I'm, I'm two more and I'm done. Okay. okay. I, just, I just want to make sure we're, we're done. We're done on the with same page. He's, no, he's I am not done with you. Um, <laughs> How dare you, Will? <laughs> Okay. I, I could talk to Piper all night. You two can sign off and me and Piper can oh chat. Boy. Um, <laughs> see you boys. Um, how is the writing going now that you're on track with this new book? Oh my gosh. I missed it. All right. So here's the thing. I was never a team vampire before. Mm-hmm. I was not a Twilight fan, although I did read the books and I have to give a distinct nod to the author for being able to write in such a way that I had to turn the page to find out what happened next. Much respect mm-hmm. for that writing craft. But yeah. I was not actually a fan of the Twilight series or the characters. And that's fine. Yeah. Um, 
But when it came to like the Vampire Diaries or the originals <gasps> or any of those TV series, um, you watch True Blood. I did watch True Blood, but I read True Blood first. All right, right. Okay. I was not Team Vampire. I was very much a shapeshifter girl. Like, give me a warm, warm, warm werewolf any day. And I was already a fan of Nalini Singh's side changeling series. And oh, those shifters, men, <laughs> women, I just, yes. Right? So I did not anticipate that my first year was going to be a vampire, but it just really, really fit and worked with the kind of kind of attitude and like, like I'm not per- particularly good at the morality chain character yet mm-hmm. but heart of obsidian by nalini singh is a great morality chain character where you have a hero who's not a hero he's not heroic in any way shape or form in fact he's incredibly overpowered could it destroy the world and the only reason why he does anything good is specifically because he loves a specific person and therefore, anything good he does is to either make that person happy or keep that person safe. Otherwise, y'all can go float out in the void. <laughs> like, that is a morality chain character. And I kind of wanted that cold, I don't care attitude. And I just, I, I found I could manage it better with a vampire. So I had to go and fall in love with vampires again. So then I'm watching Underworld and still like, no, team werewolf. <laughs> Those werewolves are way hotter. Oh, I love the underworld stuff. It's great. And the vampires in <laughs> underworld. I even watched a dem- documentary on White Wolf and like and 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 how the role playing game was put up. I was a World of Darkness player. I was in okay. a couple of campaigns for that. Um, so I was going back and I was remembering like what did I like about vampires? What do I want my vampires to have? And that kind of going back and digging was a lot of fun for me. I did go back to watch Interview with the Vampire because oh, nice. way back in college when that first came out. And I have such a theater story. I was in West Side Story in college when Interview with the Vampire was playing at our college. And oh gosh, what's her name? In the theater show, I think it's Consuela. Who sings the song Puerto Rico? Um, not Anita, but it was Consuela, right? Like, so Consuela in our theater group, she just turned 21 and she announced at a theater party the night, like during Hell Week, right before we were all supposed to start the show, that she, instead of getting hit 21 times by her friends, wanted to get bit 21 times. And theater people being what they are and i was just yoinked in as a dancer okay i was a theater person from high school all of a sudden like anita jumps on consuela and starts sucking on her giving you the world's biggest hickey on her neck oh and all, everybody do for everybody and the next day we were using pancake to cover like no one had less than five hickeys on their body <laughs> so interview with the vampire has a special place in my heart from the from the theater days and then of course queen of the damned also for reasons. The movie? Like, yes. <laughs> that was the first movie I ever worked on. Oh my gosh. I was you just worked like, on that role? What? Yeah. I was in Australia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just like, what the heck? And so I was just getting back to you over and over again. Like, what do what are things that I like about vampires? What vampires do I love? Like, I love Stefan from the Mercy Thompson series because mm-hmm. he's the soldier. And I'm like, yes. I have a thing for soldiers. We can tell I'm with Matthew J. Drake, right? Like I have a thing (laughs) for soldiers. (laughs) So I was crafting my vampire this way. And then I was like, the foil for him is this Kinari, this bird princess. And she's a dancer. And she's also a bit of a librarian, like a historical 
Asian studies person. And, you know, I kept thinking about Fred from the Angel series. <laughs> kind oh, of. yes. Yes, right? Like, I was like, oh, yeah. but like, she's Thai American, but she's kind of got that really gorgeous, unconsciously gorgeous way. But instead of Fred, like, who was a little bit awkward, she's a dancer. And so, like, we got into that. And then I was like, what mythology do I want? I'm like, gotta, gotta grab the red shoes. You gotta grab the red shoes from the Hans Christian Andersen story. And then we're just going back and forth. And I've been having so many, so much fun with these elements of, all right, all right, I'm grabbing a Western supernatural that I really like. I'm grabbing Eastern mythology that I really like and love. I'm grabbing folk tales that I've always liked, you know, and, and grabbing items of myth and magic and and recalling that. And so that's where the, the librarians kind of comes in or maybe warehouse 13, although I don't really want that feel. It's like that idea yeah. of going after this mythic item, going after this magic item and shenanigans ensue. And by the way, they fall in love all along the way. <laughs> right. So I just felt like this was this great time for this vampire to come along and be like, well, I'm after the red shoes. They're already on somebody. So I'll just wait for everybody to panic when that person dies and I'll take the shoes off the corp corpse in the pandemonium and then she doesn't die and he's like well what do i do now (laughs) (laughs) and she's like excuse me i can't get them off well what did we do in the original fairy tale well they cut 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 her feet off and she's like pass (laughs) right so now what do we do so now he's stuck with this girl who's got shoes on and by the way when she falls asleep (laughs) the shoes take over and she's fly dancing through the sky (laughs) what do we do with that right and oh by the way she has a pair of sugar gliders a la samurai shampoo (laughs) <laughs> little flying squirrels that run around and like go rah, 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 and get mad at everybody that break into her personal space. So <laughs> like I'm having so much fun adding these elements because I am known for dogs in the True Hero series and also in Fighting Cat, part of the Triton Experiment series, there's a, um, that's the science fiction romance, totally unrelated to the True Heroes. Um, that started with Hunting Cat, Fighting Cat. I'm getting those rights reverted and I'll be re-releasing them self-pub oh, in wow. the next year or two. And um, in that we have Max, who is a genetically altered evolution canine who chooses his handler. I'm going to leave it there. But Max is great. And considering the fact that my main character is a cat shifter, (laughs) she shifts into a panther. I mean, cats, dogs, you got a ferret who steals underwear. Like, what's not to love in the Triton Experiment experience? Like, really? (laughs) So... I'm just broadening my brand from, you know, Piper does dogs and the dog lives to pretty much there's going to be a human body count, but all the animals come out of it fine. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So my last question is what keeps you writing? (laughs) Especially when I can't use my hands. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Uh. I will say that I grew up, like I started reading before I was five. I probably started reading around age four, maybe three-ish, four-ish, because my mom would start reading the Laura Ingalls Wilder series, and then I started page by page reading with her. Uh, But before that, she would tell me all of this mythology, all of these folk tales, because my mom is, the Piper Mommy is an avid reader. She's an incredibly avid reader, and she... She's that person that goes, oh, my gosh, I want you to read this. Let me tell you what I loved about it and proceeds to tell you every story beat that was awesome, plus every 
great id moment that she absolutely loved that made her fall in love with the character. So now you don't need to read the book because she's told you the book, <laughs> including all of the good pages. And she remembers the page number. Like, seriously, wow. that's what happens. Like, buckle up. It's going to be an hour and a half while she gives you the summary. And it's not the Cliff Notes version, right? <laughs> so my mom is really an oral history of everything she's read and loved. And that's the way that I grew up listening to stories, especially Thai mythology, but also a lot of a lot of other mythologies that she really got into. We went to Thailand when I was a kid in summers, or they, you know, or they sent us uh, as kids when my parents couldn't make it, and we stayed with our grandparents. But there was one summer when we were there that my mom took us to Wat Pakao, which is the uh, ancient palace in Bangkok, and around the walls are murals of the Ramayana, or Ramakian, and the Thai version of Rama. And she went around telling me the story of the epic wars for Rama, the god going after his wife, Sita, as they were all reborn on earth. And Rama was born as four different brothers. And Sita was born and then she was kidnapped and this and that and those. And Tutsagan came and, and there was an epic battle and war. And you had Hanuman, the great white ape. And he had all these side stories because he was a horny, horny man, gorilla. And he had the ability to seduce, like, I don't know, a bajillion different various creatures from mermaids to giants to ogres. And he had a lot of prolific children. And there's all of these other side stories of these children going around trying to find their dad. And, um, you know, she would just tell me all of these stories and side stories and stuff, just looking at the mural that tour groups were following us <laughs> to listen to my mother as she's walking around telling us this all throughout the day. Right. So. Oral history and oral stories are something that I was introduced to at a very young age. And then I think sometime around college, my mom started like getting into audiobooks and I ended up listening to Jimmy Buffett's A Salty Piece of Land. Right? <laughs> Audio was in the it good? <laughs> it was. It was actually really good. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it was hysterical, especially listening to it in my in the car with my mom, right? <laughs> It's this hysterical like road trip kind of story right. and it follows this this cowboy from like middle United States down to the Caribbean to some of the places we've been for the writing excuses cruise. Like it's hysterical. Um, so there's that. And then so what keeps me writing, I realized, isn't the like it doesn't stop me that I can't pick up a pen sometimes. It doesn't stop me that I can't type on a keyboard sometimes. It doesn't stop me because Lord knows we can tell I can keep talking forever and I can tell a story <laughs> forever. <laughs> so what keeps right like what keeps me writing is the fact that making up stories is so much fun. And making up stories that I can share with people to delight them to get them to breathe with me, to get them to gasp with me, to get them to cry with me, and then come back and be happy again and laugh again and go through that whole gamut and just let it all out is an amazing experience. And I would love to pull people in and wrap them in and take them on this experience. And sometimes, I'm sorry, but you're so locked up in your feels that you can't get them out and you have to go watch something to unlock that. Like sometimes... I've got to watch a Nicholas Sparks movie and watch Mandy Moore like 
tell him that she has leukemia halfway through the movie. Sorry, spoilers, but this is a really old movie. And ball for the rest of the movie. Like, yeah, sometimes I need same. a story that's going to unlock me. Yeah. Wh- which movie is this one? Did I, I miss it? I remember, Nick. I oh, I missed it. I fucking remember. <laughs> Sorry, I was too busy being cool. I didn't see that one. <laughs> We're just... And by the way, I very strongly believe that is not a romance, friends. That is a romantic tragedy. Okay? Know the difference if you're ever going to (laughs) pitch. Know the difference. Never say Nicholas Sparks Walk to Remember or any similar stories as a comparator for your romance because that's a bad idea. Um, But no, seriously, like being able to take people on those journeys, on those adventures and unlock emotions and feel those roller coaster rides of feeling. That's what I want to do. Awesome. Well, Piper, we can't thank you enough for joining us this evening and, and chatting with us. Uh, we have been lucky to spend lots of time with you um, on the writing excuses cruise and on these virtual cons and around writing excuses and stuff like that. Um, but for those folks in our discord and other things we've mentioned um, that don't get to spend this much time with you, where can people find you like on the internet or, you know, uh, you know, social media or any other ways that people can follow your work, uh, website, anything like that, that you want to pitch that we can put in the show notes, help people out. Well, I like to say play find the piper. Uh, wherever that is around the internet. Uh, so I am piperjdrake.com. Ding. I am Piper J. Drake on Twitter, Piper J. Drake on Instagram, author Piper J. Drake on Facebook. I do have a Patreon, which is slash Piper J. Drake. And honestly, what's kind of fun about the Patreon is that um, that is an evolving thing for me. And I'm trying to share teasers there. I'm sharing my revisions of books that are coming back to me reverted rights that I'm going to be re-releasing chapter by chapter. And what I'm doing with those for those who are at that tier of Patreon is you get the chapter with all of my changes and my notes as to why I'm updating this aspect of the book 10 years later. Like, hey, this was edited out, but I think that it's important to put this back in. Or, hey, I think that this was problematic and I've learned since then, so I want to do better. Like those kinds of notes are in my revisions and I'm sharing that once a month as part of my Patreon. So you can see the revisions that I'm doing. And for the people who've been asking me like, Hey, are you ever going to re-release Heart Sentinel? Are you ever going to re-release Hunting Cat? They can get that chapter by chapter once a month before I finally re-release the updated for my voice, updated to do better and address some problematic things that I wish I had known and understood better back then um, out in ebook and potentially print in the coming days. So that's that Patreon is where you can get that most quickly. And for those of you who may have not seen me at a conference because you couldn't attend Surrey or you couldn't attend Running Excuses, I do at another Patreon level share uh, blog post length portions of the workshops that I teach and the lectures that I give uh, on my Patreon as well. So there's a little bit for everyone. And I also do videos for some of my cooking so you get to see me mixing up butter mochi that I made and then call, talked about in Total Bravery. You get to see me make like Kaoman Kai or some of the other Konom Krok. Like there's an author, Pin Tip Dun, who's also Thai American, who writes young adult contemporary. And she wrote Dating Makes Perfect, which is like a callback. And I remember so much about my teen awkward years from this book. And <laughs> the heroine's favorite street food is Konom Krok. 
So I made a video just for that book. <laughs> and you can see me like mixing up and actually cooking that item. So there's also cooking videos on my Patreon. <laughs> That's awesome. And see, we came I back to cooking it. after all, right? <laughs> well, um, thanks again so much, Piper. Um, we really appreciate it. We got to do it again for sure. Well, you never know when this book finally comes out. Maybe we'll come back and celebrate the release day. Um, hell yeah. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Tell us when. I'm... We're in. Ready. I'm in. Well, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun, and it was so good to talk to all of you again. Agreed. Oh, we love it. <laughs> this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. Check out our website at justkeepwriting.org. You can find links to our social media and Discord channel in the show notes, as well as any other links mentioned during the show. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is patreon.com slash just keep writing. Thanks for listening. Now just keep writing.